Thank you for calling Gaywire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello and thank you for choosing option 3. You've reached Gaywire, where everything is at least a little bit queer. I'm your host with persistent and unending back pain, Terrence Adams, and my pronouns are they them. Or they he, and sometimes he they if I'm feeling spicy. Gaywire is of course produced for CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichibuskaigan on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta, colonially known as Edmonton. And today we have some lovely, lovely interviews for your ears, brains, and bodies to enjoy. Today I'll be speaking with Van Nelson and Glynis Lieb about Brightline, Edmonton's 2S LGBTQIA specific distress line, along with information about some of the other programs connected to ISMIS, the Institute for Sexual Minority Studies, uh, at the U of A. Then we will be hearing from Victoria Fair, a local business owner and mental health advocate, about their business, Semi-Sweet Gluten-Free Treats. But before we get into that, happy Pride Month, hope things are going alright for everyone so far, and here are some events that you can still attend this month. This weekend is of course St. Albert Pride, so be sure to check that out in Rotary Park in St. Albert on June 18th, or check out our episode from last week, available on, on all the podcast platforms. But before that, on June 17th, there will be an anti-colonial Pride rally organized by Shades of Color Yegg. The meeting time is 3.30 at Beaver Hills Park. And the purpose of this march is to protest the way that capitalism, and by extension colonialism, liberalism, and a whole host of other isms have co-opted pride. So, June 17th, which is tomorrow, 3.30pm, Beaver Hills Park, for an anti-colonial pride rally. 
On June 22nd, there will be a Youth Arts and Crafts Night at the Pride Centre of Edmonton, and this will be one of the first in-person events the Pride Centre has for youth to gather in ages. <laughs> for various reasons, so on June 22nd from 5 to 7 p.m., Arts and Crafts at the Pride Centre of Edmonton. And on June 25th, there will be a Black Trans Lives Matter march and rally starting in Beaver Hills Park at 1 p.m. The purpose of this march is to create a space for those in the community who have been marginalized time and time again, namely Black trans people. The peaceful protest is organized by Rarica Now and is also a response to the loss of the executive director Cash Bay and the subsequent police response, or lack thereof. This march does have a dress code, please wear red and wear a mask, and bring flowers or candles. This march aims to create a safe space for all community members, and again, that is June 25th at 1pm in Beaver Hills Park. Also on June 25th is Pride Fest in Churchill Square, and there will be loads of performers, music, also a beer garden, along with Sex Now, a CBRC research group that is traveling around Canada to various Pride celebrations to collect data on the GBTQ community. On the 2S GBTQ community. They're also offering low barrier HIV testing. So that will be June 25th in Churchill Square. All right, so now let's hear from the folks behind Brightline, Fen Nelson from the Canadian Mental Health Association, and Linus Lieb from Isthmus at the University of Alberta. We will be talking about a distress hotline, and so we'll be speaking about what sort of topics one might come to a distress line with. So do keep that in mind when engaging with this content. <laughs> So could we start off with your full name and pronouns, please? So I'm Fen Nelson, and I go by they, them pronouns. I work as the manager of crisis services for the Canadian Mental Health Association um, in the Edmonton region. Um, so primarily that's overseeing the training and operations for our distress line, our rural distress line, the senior abuse helpline, and as was most recently launched, uh, actually a year ago now, um, was Brightline, which is, uh, to my understanding, one of the first in Canada um, to SLGBTQIA plus um, crisis lines. Um, so I first started with CMHA as a volunteer on our distress line um, and have kind of worked my way up from there, um, which is kind of fun because I have find I have a lot of perspective in terms of um, very hands-on, you know, crisis work working with people and now kind of a little bit more of that broader scope in the operational lens of things. Could you give a little bit of an, of an overview about like who started Brightline and also why? So Brightline was uh, first started um, in a partnership with the Canadian Mental Health Association um, and uh, the Institute of Sexual Minority um, Studies at the U of A. Um, and it was first even like the, I guess the formulation of that idea um, first started through community member, a specific community member that reached out um, who had faced losses, um, which I think so many of us within the queer community have seen, right, where there are people that we just lose too soon um, due to often intersections of mental health, suicide, substance use, um, you know, isolation. Um, these are unfortunately all too often, you know, common experiences um, within our community. And so they really felt that there was, you know, especially through, you know, 
the stress and the trauma of the pandemic, um, a growing need that, you know, we couldn't just rely on supports that existed um, currently, but that we needed to start creating, you know, supports that would be created by and for the community, um, the queer community, because um, when we try to, you know, and too often this is the case, when we try to take these one size fits all approaches, whether it's within the medical systems or mental health, um, the reality is that works for a very, you know, pretty defined demographic. And it is often not trans and queer people. It is often not people with disabilities. It is often not, you know, black and indigenous communities. Um, and so Brightline was kind of this, you know, formation of recognizing that we can't exist within those, quite frankly, like outdated modalities of, you know, supporting people, um, that we have to be intentional in creating space and allowing voices that aren't always, you know, at the forefront of discussions like this um, to be present in guiding how this line was formed. So then in terms of uh, values, uh, what values would you say in, inform the work that uh, Brightline does? I mean, obviously the first one that always feels very present is like inclusiveness, right? That um, this needs to be a line where when someone phones in, they aren't going to feel othered, right? They aren't going to be put in a position, which I know I've been in myself reaching out for help in the past where you're having to defend or explain your very existence and the ways that you exist in the world. And no one deserves that, right? Um, and so I would say to me, that was like one of the most prominent um, values I would say going into this um, is recognizing that this needs to be a line where someone can come in and they don't have to offer that defense or that explanation that they have a guarantee that when they are phoning in, they're going to speak to someone that has some understanding to the, you know, maybe not that specific experience, um, but to queer experiences and what that can be like and the struggles that we can have. Um, I would also say uh, maybe like a value of empowerment as well, um, that too often a lot of these institutions really focus on, you know, a professional knowing what's right for a client, right? Um, which again is a very outdated way of viewing these things and often just can create more harm, right? Especially when that practitioner doesn't understand the lived experience of that person. Um, so it was really important as well to know that, you know, anytime someone's phoning in that they are a collaborator, you know, in determining what is right for them and what is meaningful for them in that moment. And that it can't be, you know, this very hierarchical, you know, means of looking at that. What exactly makes calling Brightline different than calling, say, a, another dis distress line in, in terms of like, um, the, the way the conversation would sort of go or how the care differs? Yeah, so I would say probably the biggest one that I was really a proponent for was that this would be a line answered by people from within the community, um, that I think no matter what kind of training you're offering or education, um, and I don't say that to like, you know, uh, discriminate against the wonderful allies that are educating and, you know, doing that unlearning themselves, but um, it is still different compared to speaking to someone that, 
you know, whether, I mean, we have a myriad of ways to exist within the queer community, but um, to have someone that when you're phoning, you're guaranteed to speak to someone um, that will have lived experience within that area. Um, and that also we've been working to try and create um, curated lists of resources because um, that's another component of like crisis work um, is making sure it is a short-term service right we unfortunately can't be there a month down the line you know checking in and making sure that person is doing okay um, and so a lot of that crisis work is very short-term in scope but we always you know try to do the work to connect them with those resources that can help them in the longer term. Um, and so it was also really important to make sure that we were developing lists that were safe for members of the queer community. And I think in particular, like black and indigenous and trans members of the queer community um, to make sure that we were not referring them to agencies that you know could be continuing, you know, uh, forms of harm or oppression. Um, and so while, of course, a lot of that is still work in progress, um, the end goal would be that we could have, um, you know, when someone's phoning in, they can be referred specifically to places that are going to be able to offer affirming care. And I think when possible, referring them to places that are also going to have members of the community within, you know, their ranks. So then talking about the people who, um, who call in sort of who should call and what's that going to look like? Mm -hmm. um, so when phoning in, I would say in terms of kind of an ideal client, I don't know if that really exists. Um, I think crisis can take a really, you know, like having been a volunteer myself on the lines for a lot of years, um, crisis can take a lot of different forms. And I don't think we can really gatekeep you know, what that definition needs to mean to someone. But especially with Brightline, we did want to really intentionally make sure that this was a service that would be a little bit more open, you know, in terms of what someone might be phoning in about, because we also know that it's difficult even, you know, just to get information about, you know, places to get help from, even if you're not in a moment of crisis right then, right? Um, and so having a space that, you know, even if you're not in crisis, but just want to get connected to referrals, we've had people phoning in, just feeling maybe they just moved to the city and are experiencing some social, social isolation. Um, you know, social isolation is a direct precursor, can be, I should say, can be a direct precursor um, to suicidal thoughts, right? Um, and so it's really important that we can also not just be there in the moment when someone's in crisis, um, but can be there to hopefully offer the connections um, that can prevent people from getting in, being in crisis in the first place. Um, so I would say there's a lot of breadth to the type of callers that we've been seeing phoning in. Um, so when someone's phoning in, um, first off, that crisis worker is going to spend some time understanding what's going on for that person today where might their needs lie in this moment um, and really using a lot of you know open-ended questions to just kind of source out you know what might what's what's leading to this person reaching out to us today um, once we've kind of gotten a sense of what might be involved um, in their situation if there is you know especially a more crisis driven situation going on um, they might spend some time first of all even doing some cocooning or some more sensory focused exercises with that person um, to help maybe de-escalate some of the emotions that might be going Going on and maybe facilitate, you know, a, a more efficient conversation after that. Um, if there are risks that have come up, um, the crisis worker will kind of, you know, 
do, you know, with whatever feels comfortable for that caller to share, we'll work with them to kind of assess um, the risks that might be there, whether that is, you know, some thoughts of suicide that are going on, whether that's someone that is experiencing domestic violence in their lives. Um, they'll work with them to kind of, you know, uh, explore what might be involved in that risk, maybe offer some education. Um, you know, sometimes callers phoning in, especially I think within the queer community, can sometimes not quite understand the different forms that domestic violence can take. Um, they might not quite understand, you know, that, um, you know, how the body reactions or the feelings that they're having might be directly linked to some of the experiences that they've been having. Um, and then from there, the worker will kind of guide that caller into exploring what kind of resources might be available in that person's life currently? Um, and building off of that, are there then referrals that we can help connect them to, you know, like the incredible um, services that ISMIS has and that CHU offers, um, or, you know, any whatever else might be relevant for that person. And once we've been able to kind of do that, we'll, uh, again, collaborate with that caller to kind of arrange what that plan is going to look like specifically if there is, you know, some risks going on, um, how can we plan with that person to make sure that they're staying safe? Um, how can we make, create a plan for them to be building up from, you know, whatever situation they're in right now? Um, how can we kind of maybe create some buffers around, you know, the risks that are going on? Um, and then we'll let that person go so that they can start enacting upon that plan. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So, sorry, just, um, yeah, we have a new we have a new member, a new person. Uh, so old questions can be asked once more. Um, yeah, I'll quickly introduce myself. Um, my name is Glennis Lieb, she, okay. her pronouns, and I'm the executive director of the Institute for Sexual Minority Studies and Services at the U of A. I'd like to revisit the values question uh, about which values inform Brightline's work and um, also the work that ISMIS does. That's a that's a great question. Um, do you want do you want me to jump in on this one, Finn, or do you want to start? So the two that I already shared and you can build off of them maybe were inclusivity and empowerment. Absolutely, that too. And I think, and so from a from an isthmus lens, again, our our values are exactly um, exactly those. But um, adding to that, uh, we look we prioritize hope um, and uh, family. And so this, you know, so the idea of connection and the, and the bright line is an extension of this, of course, because, well, you know, what our colleagues at CMHA are doing is, you know, is that in, instilling some sense of hope, some sense of, of reason. Um, and, um, you know, and that's, and that's hugely important as you know, people need, people need that. And, um, and then within, you know, with our connection to CHU and to, and to ISMIS, it is about providing um, that sense of connectedness and community um, and with that um, self-worth and purpose. And that comes through that, you know, the, fam the creation of family motto that we, you know, that we have here. Um, would you be able to sort of elaborate on the uh, sort of definition of family that you're working off of? Because family can be very, very different um, uh, in different contexts. Absolutely. And we use that term, um, we use that the term family because they, you know, most, you know, again, it gives different, you know, kind of different um, ideas to different folks, but the idea is a sense of, of belonging and a sense of role and accountability. So we're not just, there's not just folks flowing through our services, folks come in here and um, we get to know them, they get to, they get to know us. Um, 
they we have um, expectations of folks for ongoing participation in our services. Um, they have they have roles to to play and responsibilities. Um, and we have um, we build relationship and and those relationships that have you know those kinds of. Um, social contracts that are intended to enhance their well-being so things that you know promising to come you know to see us um when they're when they're experiencing certain you know certain things or promising to come from it to pick up their medications or you know taking that they are taking care of their duties um with our you know volunteer duties with our different programs or things like that so it's that that idea of um a feeling of belongingness and, and accountability and purpose that's what we're looking for awesome um and would you sort of be able to uh, talk about the sort of services that like Isthmus and, and Chu uh, uh, provide. Yeah, Chu, Chu, so Chu is one of, our, of Isthmus's main programs. Um, and of course, through Chu, as you know, we provide um, um, crisis supports. We provide a day shelter for folks who are under 30 and identify as members of our community. Um, and we provide um, on-site um, minor health care. We provide um, peer support. Uh, we provide access to psychiatry and other mental health services. And um, harm reduction supplies are a big part of what we do too. And education around that, around self-care safety. Um, we, have, we have partnerships with um, organizations like AWARE who does work on site as well. We provide access to education, um, help with accessing finances, housing, all sorts of things um, here at CHU. And then we have our Firefly and Schools program, which provides um, education, self-advocacy, and helps create in, with the creation of GSAs in schools around the province. And we have Camp Firefly, of course, as you know, which is our longest standing program now, um, going on 17 years. And we have um, two camps in Alberta and then camps in Saskatchewan and Ontario as well. And those are our self-advocacy, self-esteem building and leadership development camps for, um, for 2SLGBTQ youth under 25. And we have our Family Resiliency Project, which is free uh, psychological services from registered therapists, registered clinical therapists um, for LGBTQ youth and key people in their lives if that's part of the dynamic. So we do a lot of family rebuilding, relationship rebuilding and that too. Um, if folks are struggling with relationships and family um, and that after they've come out and things like that, or we provide just individual care. And that is, um, and we tend to offer six to eight sessions and then see what we have funding for on top of that if we still have remaining, um, remaining funding. And, um, and so those are that's those are some of the main programs we provide. We also do um, a lot of advocacy, um, such as um, Pride Tape is a project of ours. It's called Abatement um, to co to continue to do um, to raise public awareness. Um, and NoHomophobes.com is a website we run that um, tracks homophobia and social media and that sort of thing, which is used as an educational tool. So and then we of course are grounded in research. So we do. We, we do um, research into um, issues, contemporary issues impacting our community no, as well. So that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then would you say that those are sort of um, a, a lot of the uh, folks that are like 
rooting for you when you call Brightline um, behind the scenes. And those are the folks that you could get connected to if you were to call Brightline. That's our, and I mean, Fen can speak to this too. And, we're, and um, CMHA has been great um, and working with us on this project. And that's, and that is the, you know, the aim we've been building um, a catalog, not only of our own services, but all the other services that, um, that people can get um, referred to from Brightline. Um, Fen, I'll like that as well. Sorry, I don't know if I quite, followed what the question was asking. Okay, so um, uh, all of the amazing things that Glennis just listed are some of the uh, places or uh, people that you could be referred to uh, it, after calling Brightline uh, for certain things. Uh, what are some of the other resources that you could be connected to? Um, so it could be, you know, for some callers phoning in, maybe they need culturally competent therapists. Um, so that's definitely something that we're working towards is developing lists that we can directly refer people that can provide mental health care that again are going to have lived experience in whatever you know area it would be meaningful for that caller. Um, we could also help connect people, especially if there is you know more urgent risks. Um, we can help uh, connect them to services like you know other shelters that might be available in the city. Um, we could connect them to um, you know if it is like a more emergency situation in that moment, can help them connect and offer maybe some advocacy around how to safely connect um, with maybe emergency services if that's required, and maybe to offer a little bit. Of explanation around what might be involved, you know, if they were to do that, because we also know that a lot of interactions with services like that can also be quite harmful, you know, for a lot of members of our community. Um, and while, you know, we have a lot of hope as to what the future could look like, right, um, that right now we're not quite at a point where those services always feel safe. Um, and so it's really important that, you know, we can try and practice maybe I can use the word harm reduction around, you know, accessing some of those services. Um, so I would say, yeah, there are, you know, also I would say also some like social um, inter, uh, social agencies and things like that that can help people get connected in terms of just like social engagement and activities and things like that. Um, so it really runs quite a broad gambit. Awesome, thank you so very much. Um, now we are, coming to the last little bit of the time that we have together. Um, so I think I'd like to sort of open it up a little bit more. And is there anything else that you'd like uh, people who are maybe thinking about reaching out but aren't aren't sure that, that they should or that they can? Um, what, what would you say to, to those folks? I mean, I, I guess I would say like being someone that has struggled with suicide for more years of my life than I haven't, um, to know that no matter the shame that you're dealing with, the isolation that you're experiencing, the disconnection that you might be feeling, you know, especially speaking of family, right? That can be a really hard concept for a lot of members of our community. Um, is just to know that you aren't alone um, and that there are people out there that can help get you connected, um, that you don't have to endure those things alone and that there isn't any shame in reaching out and you know asking for that help. Um, that there are people that will understand you and that want to you know help you build up from you know that darkest moment that doesn't need to define you. Yeah, I think that's and um, I can't say anything more poignant than that, than that. I just think that this is such an important 
important service or in the early stages of it, CMHA is doing great work to expand the service to include texting capabilities and extend the hours within the next short while, which is tremendous. And I'm so grateful and grateful to CMHA for being um, open and creative here and grateful to um, you know, folks like our, our past volunteer, Neil Salisbury, who really pushed the need for this idea for multiple years and that in order to, you know, to make it happen. And um, I'm excited about the potential, uh, you know, as we, as we see this service expand to, you know, to meet the needs of the community. I guess maybe speaking to kind of the futurity that we see for this service is that we're also building towards and probably not too much longer where we'll actually be specifically recruiting um, volunteers um, who are interested in supporting the line. So again, we would be looking to recruit specifically from within the 2SLGBTQA plus community, um, offering, you know, of course, the training to be equipped, you know, be there with someone in what can be an incredibly you know, sensitive and important moment in their life. Um, but that we will be, right now we are staffing with, with like within the queer community, but within our staff, um, and we'll be quite soon able to start recruiting for volunteers. Um, what is, what would that look like? Because of course this is Gaywire, so the, the audience is primarily part of the community um, and also soccer moms tuning in randomly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so recruitment for volunteers um, with our service, it is still, you know, something that we're kind of figuring out what that's going to look like specifically for this line, but um, you'd probably be looking at around, like it is a fairly intensive training that we go through, again, given, you know, the value in terms of those moments that they're with someone. Um, but usually we're looking at about around like 70 hours or so of training. So it is, you know, a little bit of a commitment to go through, but I know we've gotten so much feedback from volunteers in the past about how transferable the skills are that they've learned on the line, whether it's just into their own personal life and the conversations they have with their loved ones um, or into the community at large. Um, and then usually, um, it would require you know some form of commitment in terms of coming in and you know taking shifts to be there with people um but often you know especially given that we want to be building out our coverage um, a lot of flexibility around you know what kind of time commitment when that time commitment happens pieces like that sure thank you um is there anything else that either of you would like to add just to uh tell folks anything else about brightline or uh any of the other amazing services that we've talked about today? I'll just jump in and say, you know, it is Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Um, this month carries a, a lot, um, a lot of emotion for a lot of folks. Um, and especially this one coming out of COVID um, being our first really full Pride Month since we were really awakened and had our attention brought to the inequities that continue within our community a few years ago through you know protests and the cancellation of um, pride march and um and so i think that we need to be really really supportive of particularly our qt bipoc um, community members this month we have to be um supportive and easy uh on ourselves too this is um you know lots of folks are really emotionally wrought um and rightly so, there's a lot going on. And, and so please do reach out for help, um, whether, you know, to Brightline or to, um, you know, to 
supportive people in your lives or to our other services, you know, please do reach out. Please um, know that this is a month that um, that can feel really good but um if it's if it's not if it's if it's not feeling great for you um that's perfectly valid so please you know please take care of yourselves and take care of each other yes thank you thank you for saying that is there anything uh that you'd like to add on at the end Fen? i mean i guess i would say bright line to me in a lot of ways has felt like i i've always treasured um a poem by Billy Ray Belcourt, who is an Indigenous poet originally from Alberta. And in a poem that's always like really stuck in my heart, he talks about the definition of queer being both too much and too little for this world. Um, and I know for myself, like that has always really rang true, um, that there is so much, feels like there are so many ways that we are told we cannot take up space in the world. And so many ways that we feel too little you know in terms of what's asked of us in this world um and so bright line to me is really special in how it is you know really has been driven by the community and like for the community um you know by people that recognize um that you know just how uh, how nuanced you know queer identities are and how difficult it can be to exist within this world um so yeah i'm just really excited about you know what the future can hold and especially how brightline can start to you know form those webs of connection for people um that you know they don't have to exist you know within the shame or isolation that they're in sure well thank you so much to both of you for talking about this um when I found out it existed I was like oh my gosh what this is this is amazing and like Edmonton has one of the like only ones like wow that's fancy sometimes have to like pinch myself a little bit thinking of you know growing up in a rural town in Alberta um to think that you know I'm in a position now where I can you know hopefully be leading the way that, you know, future generations don't have to experience, you know, the same things that so many of us did in our childhoods. You just heard myself, Terrence Adams, speaking with Fen Nelson, and speaking with Fen Nelson and Glennis Lieb about Brightline, Edmonton's 2S LGBTQIA plus distress line. Now, for folks who may be interested in calling, the number is 1-844-702-7483, and it is available to call 24-7. However, due to the limited staffing at this time, as the volunteer aspect has not yet been implemented, you may not get an answer from a crisis worker who is part of the community. If there is no one specifically from Brightline available, you will be given the option to either be directed to a general distress line or to 211. So even if you don't get someone specifically from Brightline, you will get to talk to a crisis worker. Though keep in mind that other lines may Though, do keep in mind that other lines may not be as well prepared to handle queer or trans topics. I will definitely provide updates when the volunteer process opens up, as that will definitely contribute to more uh, predictable and consistent hours. 
And thank you so very much for tuning into CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichi, Wiskigan on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Or if you are listening on the podcast, also thank you. Be sure to check out the latest update from Q Lawrence to understand the current situation as it pertains to MADE in Canada, and also be sure to check out any of our other conversations as we talk to a lot of incredible folks doing important work. So don't miss out. Listen to Gaywire CJSR wherever you get your podcasts. Next up, a conversation with Victoria Fair, the owner and baker extraordinaire behind Semi-Sweet Gluten-Free Treats. This interview was from a little while ago, so be sure to check out their social media at semisweet.gf for more up-to-date information about their appearances in markets. And also, before we get into this one, I do apologize for my mic uh, for my mic quality. Um, I have no clue why Zoom decided to record using my busted laptop mic instead of my plugged-in and connected USB mic I actively chose as the input for the call, but alas, the interview is still one that you won't want to miss. My full name is Victoria Fair, and I use she-they pronouns. Yeah, so semi-sweet gluten-free desserts stemmed from my love of baking and I use it as a coping mechanism for my own mental health struggles. I know that food has the capacity to create a big sense of community and so I wanted to tie my two passions both for baking and for mental health advocacy and try to do that through an avenue of sweet treats and desserts. Awesome. So, what sort of baked goods do you uh, do you make? Is it all sorts of things? Specialty? Um, quite a few things, and I am always down for a new adventure. So, if there's anything not listed on my menus that individuals message me and say, "Hey, can you do this?" I'm always up for a challenge. Um, right now, for my order forms, I have about three different kinds of cookies. A um, couple bars, like cheesecake brownies, salted butterscotch blondies, banana bread, uh, blueberry scones, which for scones that are gluten-free are hard to, to get moist, but I found a trick. Um, and coconut macaroons, which are usually... Cool. Um, and without, of course, giving away any of your secrets, how how have you managed to make all of these things gluten-free? Um, it has definitely been a process. For most of my recipes, they come from recipes that have been passed down for generations in my family. Uh, so now I have access to this big, huge, gigantic cookbook. And it's a process of trial and error going through because all the recipes traditionally are made with glutinous flour. So I just have to go through and substitute whatever possible. And, you know, sometimes you try recipes and that substitute doesn't work. So then you got to try it again. But after a lot of experimentation, I've found some good ones that work. Um, seems like quite the chemistry process. Um, so why did you start this business? Uh, in all transparency, I just came out of quite a bit of a mental health struggle. 
um, and decided that I needed to take pause in my life and inventory of what's important to me, what I like to do and what brings me joy. And one of the biggest things by far for me is baking. So it was really nice to be able to tie my coping skill in and then translate that into desserts for community because I love to bake for people. Yeah. So um, let's then talk a little bit more about these ideas of food and um, community. So in general, what sort of like gap do you feel um, your baked goods are filling in in the community? What what sort of gap of, of needs or, or wants? Yeah. Um, I feel like food is often viewed as a very holistic or healing way of creating community, but there's often a lot of discrepancy and zero options for those who are gluten intolerant or have a gluten allergy. Um, one of my best friends, very best friends in the whole world is celiac. And I know a big challenge is anytime that they go out anywhere, or if they're going out with friends that have ordered food, there's nothing for them to eat. And my goal is to bridge that gap by making desserts that can be enjoyed gluten-free, but that those who have the option to eat gluten won't really notice and they won't taste that difference. So it's kind of just being able to share a piece of the pie around the table and sort of having to have isolated, maybe less than desirable dessert options. Yeah, yeah, it, it um, sort of reminds me of the, the idea of rather than having like stairs and a ramp, just have a ramp and everyone can go up no problem exactly yeah like let's not exclude people let's make food an inclusive environment for as many people as possible yeah I love that would you like to talk a little bit more about the um mental health uh advocacy aspect yeah um so I've been a mental health advocate for quite a few years uh, about eight years ago, I started the CASA Youth Council as one of the founding members. Um, great organization. You can definitely do some more research on that on your own time. But they were a huge platform for me for sharing my personal stories, um, writing research articles, getting publications, and really just bringing that youth voice to mental health. Um, getting a little bit older now, I'm 22, so slowly starting to phase out of that youth stage. But I do want to continue that in any way that I can. So I take all of the resources, skills that I've learned through the council and that I've learned through these organizations with advocacy. And I just really want to translate them into my baking, create open conversations around mental health um, and pass along resources. And just, you know, mental health can be incorporated into anything. It doesn't need a single event. It doesn't need a single day or a month or send a text to donate five cents. Let's just start these organic conversations and normalize people with mental illness living in community. Yeah, for sure. So how, how do you pair baked goods um, with mental health and then bring all of that together uh, to the overarching idea of community? Mm -hmm. So a big piece for me is just being really transparent about how much baking has helped me um, and really just putting it out there that it doesn't matter what your coping skill is. It doesn't matter what people think of it. People maybe thought that I wouldn't do very successfully trying to start my own business, but if it brings you joy and brings you just that little bit of happiness and celebration in your life, it's worth doing. I also have here um, my business cards, so I know it's a little bit mirrored, but on the back of my business cards, which 
again, you can't really read, but it's a list of uh, quick access phone supports in Edmonton and area. Um, and I'm also going to be starting posts and stories on my social media pages to go through mental health resources and really just say that, you know, if people need connections or if you don't see what's here that can help you, like, message, you know, our community is a resource and I'm more than happy to refer. For sure. Um, and is your social media handle so that people can see those posts when they pop up? Yeah, for sure. My social media on Instagram is semisweet.gf. And if you search that same handle into Facebook, it will come up with my business page. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and just going back to your business card, um, as this is radio, a uh, we're talking on Zoom and we can see each other now, but um, this is radio, famously non-visual mm -hmm. medium. So um, would you be able to describe your logo um, and then talk about why you designed it that way? Because mm -hmm. I, I love it. I think it's, I like, I think it's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I designed it all myself from scratch on Canva. Um, it's my little fun technology self-care I like to do. Uh, I designed the logo semi-sweet by putting the semicolon instead of the I in semi. Um, the semicolon stands for suicide prevention and speaks to some of my personal struggles and how baking has helped me overcome that. I also have the rainbow in my logo because queerness, you know, queer pride, gotta love it. Um, always want to represent myself and community and represent as many others and just make sure it's a safe space for people to come and buy from. Um, and the semicolon is also present in the rainbow. I chose the colors because I am a 70s fanatic. I absolutely love all things retro. I am a passionate vintage shopper. So a big goal of mine for in-person events and farmers markets is going to be bringing that retro spin and just a little extra cool factor into the baking. Yeah. So how, how are you going to bring that retro spin into your farmers market appearances and your baking? Uh, so my booths will be decorated with vintage curated items um, from the 70s decade. So you'll definitely have that feel when you come visit me in person. And I will also be for every market dressing uh, very 70s. So each weekend will be a different outfit, a different kind of theme going on, um, which is just my chance to play dress up. And I absolutely love it. I, I definitely love love the, the ways that you uh, have, have found joy in, in the other aspects of this business um, that aren't necessarily the, the baking, like the graphic design and the, the 70s aesthetic. Um, so could you sort of talk a little bit about how this, like, how does it feel to run your own business and, and do all these things for yourself? Uh, it, it feels amazing. Um, because I'm still in the growth stages, it can be really overwhelming and a little bit scary at times. But being able to set my own hours, choose which projects I want to take on and operate from a place of passion and joy rather than from, you know, having to or working for employers that I'm not happy with. It's been a really refreshing change for my mental health. Um, yeah, I, I really like setting my own hours and I love what I do. So it doesn't ever feel like work. Recently on Gaywire, something that we have been discussing is the, uh, the correlation between self-care 
and community um, work. So basically the, the idea that you have to care for yourself if you wanna be able to contribute meaningfully. Um, would you uh, be able to comment on that idea? Yeah, so I think definitely it's always good to make yourself the number one priority. Um, if you burn out, you won't be able to help anybody else. But on the same token for me and my experience, especially through mental health advocacy, I have found a lot of healing in helping others and giving back to community. So it's really a matter of self-reflection and where am I at right now? Do I have things to give and get from these selfless acts or do I need to really turn the lens inward and take care of my needs first before I give back to community? Um, just depends on where you're at. I really like the uh, the sort of definition of community that you gave to me a little earlier. Um, would you be able to sort of talk about that? Um, just what community means to you? Yeah, so to me, community is an ever evolving kinship network. Um, you know, community doesn't have to be everybody in a certain demographic area. Um, it's whoever you define as your kin whoever you find those meaningful connections to. And at the end of the day, who you can say, I feel supported and I will support others in this sense. I absolutely adore my kin. I love the concept of kinship and community because it expands beyond hereditary bloodlines and blood family, which I think is a really integral aspect to the queer community. Um, you know, we find our own family, we find our niches, we find where we fit in, and we rejoice with the people that love us back. So to me, community is kin. And I, I find your word choice of kin very intriguing. Um, why, why do you choose kin rather than a term like uh, chosen family or, some, or something else? I, you know, this might be a little bit of my humanities degree coming in, but I like kin over words like chosen family because I find the family concept and when you say stuff like family or even chosen family it really brings that colonial western image to mind um, and so for me saying kin and expressing my love for my kin rather than my family is to break down those barriers because you know my connections to my queer kin are much different than the connections I have to my blood family and I want to rejoice in that and for me, I don't want to place them in the same category because it's a completely different relationship for me. And I want to rejoice and identify that as kin, it's we're not blood related, but the bond is stronger than ever. So then would that um, also tie in with your uh, logo and in, including a, a rainbow there? Absolutely. Yeah, it's for everyone and even I have uh, the same colors in my rainbow kind of outlining both sides of my business card and for me that just represents like the wraparound effect of community and kin you know how if we if we can cushion the sides of our lives with love and support and positive growth then we can flourish as a community okay well um then how where can we get these wonderful treats. Absolutely. Yeah. So on my Facebook page, as well as my Instagram at semisweet.gf, uh, I have in my profile bio a link that can take to Google Forms. And those are my order forms for bulk orders. So if individuals are looking to buy 
you know, bulk batches of cookies, usually one batch comes with about 35 to 40 whole loaves of banana bread, whole packages of scones, et cetera. That's the way to do it. Um, or they can DM me. With that said, though, I'm always open to adjustments. So if it's an um, issue of money and not being able to afford, I'm more than happy to do half batches or mix and match or anything. Um, and I have some exciting news. I've been approved to do a couple Thursdays at the 124th Street Farmers Market in June and then a couple in September. And I have also been contacted just today and got a request from the old Strathcona Farmers Market for their new satellite projects. So I will be going most every Thursday for uh, the Windermere location. That's Thursdays from 4 to 7 p.m. right across from the Windermere Cineplex. And then at Wabaman Lake, they're starting a Sunday market from noon to three. And that'll start June 5th and run until September 25th. So it's right in the little community center right on Main Street in the Wabaman Lake area. Awesome. Well, that sounds super exciting. You've got lots of live events coming up. That's so nice. It's, it's exciting when there's things that you can do in person after having to do so much virtually for so long. Um, so yeah, thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with me and for doing this uh, amazing, starting this amazing business with this amazing um, idea behind it. Awesome. Yeah, I don't think I have any questions at this time, but thank you very, very much for having me on today. It was such a treat to get a message from you and be invited to do this interview. Um, really means a lot. And I'm happy that I can connect with the queer community on campus. just heard myself, Terrence Adams, speaking with Victoria Fair about their baked goods company, Semi-Sweet Gluten-Free Treats. Be sure to check out their social media at semisweet.gf for updates on their market appearances and to see the various mental health advocacy posts. As always, it has been a pleasure being your host for this time we have together on GayWire. GayWire is, of course, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM which is in Amiskuchiwiskaigin, colonially known as Edmonton, Treaty 6 Territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta, land which has been the traveling ground and home of many, including but not limited to the Blackfoot, Anishinaabe, Nakota Sioux, Soto, Dene, Cree, and Métis people. All of us at GayWire encourage you to think critically about the structures of power we reside within, your role in and around them, and what you can do to challenge the damaging legacies and mechanisms of colonialism in your day-to-day. Reconciliation is not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing practice. Please, please, please do check out some of the amazing Indigenous folks that we've interviewed to learn about the art that they do, along with discussions on decolonization, traditional tattooing, what it means to be two-spirit, 
and more by checking out the interviews with Gabe Calderon and Ashley Cardinal. And remember that Pride Month is in June, and Indigenous History Month is in June, and both are very, very important. Please tune in next week to hear more Prairie Queer content, and until then, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Uh, just search for Gaywire CJSR, and the CJSR is imperative if you want to find uh, results pertaining to this show. Otherwise, uh, you're on your own. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm and on Facebook or Twitter at Gaywire and at Gaywire CJSR on Instagram and TikTok. Let us know what you think of the show, hit up the DM sometime, or if you'd rather be fancy, you can also email gaywire at cjsr.com and you never know, you just might get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson, and our, and our original music is by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Stay tuned next for some of that good stretch. Stay tuned next. Stay tuned next to wiggle your toes in confusion. Anticipation, maybe. What are you waiting for? There's the confusion. And play that on the line. Please stay on the line.